Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. I have a very simple but profound message from the Bible this morning for you. In the book of Mark, I find two verses in chapter 8, verses 36 and 37. You will have much of the verses on the screen. So no need for you to uh, search the scriptures. Book of Mark, chapter 8, verses 36 and 37. It's right there. Okay, let's read those scriptures together at this time, please. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul, or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Several months ago, there was a picture of a child that shocked the world. A three-year-old Syrian boy washed up to the shore in a Turkish beach somewhere. His name was Elan, from Syria, a refuge child. And he was washed up to a Turkish shore. And that shocked the world. Does anyone remember the picture? Do you remember that picture? A three-year-old child washed up to a Turkish shore. How much value do you place on that child's life? How much is the child's life really worth? Just the last couple of days, in Somalia, there's a bombing and 14 people died. In the United States, in West Virginia, a flood came and over 23 people died. In Fort Worth, at a dancing studio, two, two died. In Maryland, three were killed within just last couple of days. People are dying everywhere. Whether a child, adult, people are dying everywhere. The question this morning is how much value do you place on a life, on a soul? How would you estimate the value of your soul? It really depends who you ask. And this morning I'll be speaking about in exchange for your soul. How much would you pay or how much value would you place on your life or on your soul? From the scriptures we read, what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? What shall a man, a woman, a child Give in exchange for his life. And that's one of the questions, perhaps the most crucial question in life, that needs to be answered by yourself. You need to answer the question, how much value do I place on my life? That's the question you need to answer this morning. And let me begin with the estimation of the soul. Estimation of the soul. It really depends who you ask. Estimation of the soul. If you if you're to ask a chemist, a scientist, he will tell you your life is worth less than one dollar. Actually, it's about 98 cents. That's all how much you're worth as a person or as a chemical composition. So to a scientist, you are less than $1. If you ask to a financial advisor or insurance broker, he may tell you it may be a half a million, about a million. It really depends how much life insurance you carry today. You may have an insurance of $1 million for your life for your children, for your family, just in case of your death. And perhaps that is the valuation 
of your financial values of life in financial terms. If you to ask to you personally, how much value would you place on the life of your child? We've seen children this morning. They are precious. And for my own children, I'll give my life for them. For my own grandchildren, anytime, I'll be more than glad to give my life away for their sake. And how much would you place on the life of your child? That will be a personal valuation. And all of us can say everything. I will do everything for my child. That's how much we value the life of a child. But let me give you how much God estimates your value, your life. Yes, we're not talking what the people say about your life. What your children say concerning your life. Or even your wife, your co-workers, your neighbors. But what does God say concerning my life? Is my life worth something to God? Am I worth a half a million to God? Or all the possessions I have? Or how much am I worth in the sight of God? That's a question. We should all ponder this morning. What does God really value my life? And this is what the Bible says. What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul. Let me make that more personal. What shall it profit you if you shall gain the whole world and lose your own soul? That's a personal application of that verse. What shall, you, what shall it profit, profit you if you shall gain the whole world and lose your own soul? So God is comparing your life to what? The whole world. To every possession, everything in the world. Your life is compared to the whole world. And that's how much God values your life. More than the whole world. Do you follow me? God is saying, let's say you gain the whole world. It's yours. But what if you lose your soul? You're not going to profit much. In other words, God is saying your life is worth more than the whole world. John 3.16 reads, For God so loved the world. There's no other way to explain the depth or the, the fathomness of God's love. So the translator came up with the word so. For God so loved the world or so loved you that he gave his only begotten son. God values your life more than the whole world. And if God values your life enough so that he may give his only begotten son. Your son is precious. Your son is more precious than anything else in the whole wide world. To God, Christ or Jesus Christ is the only begotten son. And he was willing to give him for who? For me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God was willing to give his son Jesus Christ for me and for you. That's how much values your life. It's unfathomable. It is unmeasurable. It's unthinkable. There's no way we can say how much I value. I can only say I'm as valuable as Christ. If God the Father has decided to give his only son Jesus Christ for my life, my life should be as 
as worthy as Jesus Christ himself, in a comparative sense. And this morning, let me challenge you to think your life or your soul, not as other people think about you, not as the way the world will define you, not in financial terms, not in chemical sense, but I want you to value your life as the way God estimates you. And that's the divine valuation, and that is what, how much God loves you, that is how much God estimates you. So more than anything in this wide world, you are more precious in the sight of God than anything else. You need to start thinking about your life as the way God does. That will change your life. You are not just anybody here. You are not just one person out of seven billion people living on earth. You are very precious. One person, God will give his only son, Jesus Christ, to die for you if necessary. That's how valuable you are this morning. That's the estimation of your soul. Let's move to the entanglement of your soul. But there's a problem with your soul, or with my soul. When God created us, he created us as an eternal being. Genesis 2-7 reads, And the Lord God formed men of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. God actually breathed his breath of life into the nostril of Adam, and the man became a living soul, a living, eternal soul. God has soul. God is eternal. God breathed his life into the nostril of Adam by making him an eternal being. And Bible says you are a living soul. In other words, your soul lives somewhere forever. Because that's the way God created us. Every one of us has a soul, and the soul, the inner self, the inner being of ourselves, will live somewhere because that's the way God created us as eternal beings for God. So whether we like it or not, whether we believe it or not, our soul, oh no, my soul will live somewhere, eternal. That means when we leave this place called earth, yes, our bodies may go back to ground because that's the way we are created. But our soul, the inner being of me, my emotions, my feelings, the knowledge that soul is going to go somewhere to live forever because that's the way God created us. So we are created as eternal soul. A problem came. Sin came into the world. That disrupted the relationship with God. That broke the, our closer walk with God. And Bible explains it this way, Romans chapter 5 verse 12, wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin and so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. God created us eternally. Eternally to be with Christ in heaven with him that's the way we are created originally. But one day, sin came in. Through Satan's temptation, the sin came through a person called Adam. By one man, sin entered into the world. And with that sin came what? Death came. Death came. And death by sin, Bible says. Death by sin. We die because of sin. We are created eternally. We're going to die because of sin. 
by one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so death passed unto upon all men. Every person, a man, a woman, a child, will die because of what? Sin. For that, all have sin. Death in the Bible means separation. Death does not mean annihilation. Some people will think that when we die, everything will simply disappear. That's not the case. Yes, our bodies will return to ground and begin to decay, but our soul needs to go somewhere to live forever because that's the way we are created. But death means separation. Death by sin, so death passed upon all men. Why? Because all have sinned. So by nature, we are sinners. As descendants of Adam, by birth, by physical birth, we are sinners by nature, and we are sinners by practice. Because we are born with a sinful nature, we are prone to sin. And through our practice, I can say I'm a sinner because I've sinned. And we all don't. Everybody understands what sin is. And we all can acknowledge that we do sin at times. But the Bible is very clear. Wherefore, it's by one man sin into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Old Testament writers struggle with that. They struggle with that question. Bible says, I was shapen in iniquity, according to David. And in sin did my mother conceive me. David did not say, my, my mother sinned by conceiving me. He's simply referring to, I was conceived in sin. In other words, I was born with sinful nature. David knew that. Isaiah chapter 53 speaks about all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Yes, we are like sheep gone astray. Every one of us. Old Testament writers knew this, but when we come to New Testament, the writers are a lot more specific about our sinful nature. Romans chapter 3, verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. It simply means every one of us, no matter what we are, who we are, we are sinner in God's sight. Bible simply says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. They have all gone astray. They have all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that, that was good. No, not one. And in verse 23, Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Very simple. New Testament made it very simple. Yes, because of our sinful nature, there is none righteous, no, not one. That means in God's sight, every one of us is not righteous. If you compare your life to somebody else in the congregation, yes, you're not that bad. Yeah, for the fact that you are in in a church this morning, that's a good sign. But in God's sight, there's absolutely nobody who is righteous. No, not one. None that understandeth, none that seeketh after God, and nobody is profitable, none that doeth good, no, not one. And that includes me. And may I say, that includes you as well. Because none means simply nobody. For all have sinned. Yes, I have sinned, you have sinned. And we have come short of the glory of God. The Bible is simply telling us 
what we already know. We already know we are sinful. Sinful thoughts, sinful ideas, sinful behaviors. We all know that. Simply Bible make it very clear that all of us have sinned in the sight of God. Apostle John makes it even clearer. What does that mean, you may ask? Apostle John in John chapter 3 verse 18 reads, He that believeth on him is not condemned. He that believeth not is condemned. What's the next word? I did not say that. God said that. God made it very clear that your soul is already condemned. It's not that you get a second chance when you die. It's not that you go to purgatory. It's not that you get another chance. The Bible simply declares that he that believeth not is condemned already because he has not believed on the name of the only begotten Son of God. Verse 18, 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life. You're not even going to see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Sounds pretty serious, doesn't it? It's not like having a second chance when we die. I try to live a good life. When I get to heaven, perhaps God will weigh my good works against bad, and perhaps God will let me come into heaven. That's your thinking. But are you going to really trust your thinking for your soul, which is more precious than the whole life, whole earth? Or are you start trusting the word of God? If I were you, I'd start trusting the word of God. I trusted Christ as my personal savior at age of 24. You know why? Why did I wait till I was 24 years old? After all gone through high school, university, and graduate school, you know why? Nobody told me. Simple. First 24 hours, 24 years of my life, nobody approached me. Not a single person ever came to me and told me, are you saved? You're concerned about your soul. Do you know where you're going to spend your eternity? Has anybody shown you from the word of God that you may have eternal life in Jesus Christ? Do you know for sure heaven is going to be home one day? Nobody, absolutely nobody showed me that I was lost. Some of your neighbors are lost. Some of your relatives are lost. Some of your even brothers and sisters are lost. Even your wife may be lost. Your children may be lost. Why do we do vacation Bible school every year? Why do we bring the children in? Have good time? Yes. Teach them some songs? Yes. But what is the point? What's the point of spending so much? We charge nothing for the vacation Bible school. There's no fee. We put everything in. We put money into it. Buy toys and preparing all the things. Everything the church will invest for that. Why? Perchance, out of all these little children come, whose souls are more precious than the whole world, if one person, one child can say, yes, I'm lost, I don't know where I'll go, but I will trust Jesus Christ as my personal Savior, for that one person will do our vacation Bible, year after year, willing this more, more, every year, that one person may be saved. That's the reason. Why? A child's soul is more precious than what? Take the world. Take the millions and billions. Take all your stocks. But a soul of one child is more precious than everything this world will ever offer. That's why we do this. Not because we do this as a tradition. Because we want our children to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ when they are still young. Where do you spend your time with your children? Well, I mean, where children, children spend their time? They're spending their time with the games, internet, and they're surfing the net. 
Most of the time, they're influenced by the world, the secular thinking. But we want to teach them what is right, what the Bible says, what, not what they think, so they may understand how precious they are. But unless we understand the fact we are created eternally, but because of sin, we are already condemned. Yes, if you do not know Jesus Christ, a personal Savior this morning, this is what the Bible declares. You are condemned already. It's not you will get a second chance. I'm sorry, but that's what the Bible says. I hope there's a better way or a softer approach to this, but we are talking about your eternal life. We're not talking about just a few hundred dollars here. We are talking about your soul, your eternal life that is worth more than the whole life, whole earth. And God is very clear. He that believeth not the Son of God is condemned already. You know what already means, yeah? Ja? Already, ja, in Espanol. Yes? Yeah, you're dead. Condemned. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. It's a predicament because our soul is condemned. So I want you to see the unprofitable soul. Since we are condemned, Bible declares for the wages of sin is, what is it? Death. For the wages of sin. We know what wage is. For sinning, we receive the wage of death. Total separation from God. Eternal separation from God. Under condemnation of God. For the wages of sin is death. And Hebrews 9.27 reads, And as it is appointed unto man once to die, we have an appointment with God. Whether we like it or not, there is an appointment set up with God. The fact is, I do not know when that my appointment is. But I can say, I have an appointment with God. But after this, the judgment. After this, the judgment. Pastor, are you talking that after we die, there are going to be judgment? That's what the Bible says. As some cults teach, if we die and disappear, annihilated completely, hey, you don't need to trust Christ. Just live your life as you like. Enjoy it. Then you die and disappears. But that's not the case. Bible says... It is appointed unto man once to die. Once to die. We only die once. Once to die. But after this, the judgment. The judgment. What is this judgment? Luke chapter 16 speaks about the rich man who lived sumptuously in his life. When he died because of his unbelief, because of condemnation of his soul, Bible says, in hell, in hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment. In hell. Yes, there is a literal place called hell. In hell, the rich man had all the senses. He lifted up his eyes, he managed to see Lazarus. In hell, a literal place, and being in torment, meaning there's a literal fire in hell. No matter what the evangelicals talking about today, there's no fire in hell. It's a spiritual thing we're talking about. But do not believe that because Bible declares as he in hell, as he lifted up his eyes, he was being in torment. If you read that passage at least three times, Bible says about torment. I'm tormented, tormented, tormented in hell. So if he die and simply disappeared, that would be great, yeah. But Bible said, but after this, the judgment, what judgment? In hell, he lifted up his, his eyes and he was being in torment. But that's not the end of the story. 
Revelation chapter 20 speaks about the death and hell were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. There's more. The wages of sin is death. We die. There's a judgment. What judgment? In hell, he lifted out his eyes. Then what judgment? The death and hell were cast into the lake of fire and brimstone. That is what's waiting for every unbeliever this morning. Because you are already condemned. That is the predicament every living soul is faced with. If this is the end of the story, if this is the end of Christianity, Christianity doesn't mean a thing. You can forget about it. You'll simply trust yourself. And live a good life. But this is not the end. This is only the beginning. But we need to realize, number one, that I'm valuable in the sight of God. You must believe that God values you. God loves you enough to send his only begotten son. You must believe that. Not, as the, not because I said it. That's what Bible declares. We've been... The Christianity has been around for over 2,000 years now. It's not like everything began yesterday. Over 2,000 and millions and millions of people trusted Jesus Christ. And their lives have been changed. You heard about stories where the Christians are persecuted. They were thrown into lions then, but they were laughing and they were singing while they were eaten by wild animals. They were persecuted, killed, and they were cut asunder, but they were still praising the Lord while this was all happening. All the Christians, are they so smart or foolish? They could do that because they knew they've been saved. They knew God exists. They knew they have eternal life in Jesus Christ, and they had a confidence. So we must understand, my soul is his strength. Intent. I have a problem. So let me finish with the final point. Exchange for your soul. What do I do? What do I do? What can I do? What can I do? Can I do something to save myself? A lot of people try to do that. But it complicates the situation. I want you to read Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as, what are the next two words? Filthy rags. You try good works. I try to nice to people. Instead of saying, watch it, I say, excuse me. I try to be nice to everybody. I give ch to charity. I throw coins into the, uh, the Christmas, the, uh, the basket, the uh, pan. You can do that. But Bible declares all our Righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Nobody wants filthy rags. Good for nothing. And Bible declares we are all as an unclean thing. And all our righteousness, God makes that clear because we try to be righteous with our own strength. Through good works, through religion, through faithfulness. We want to do something for God that I may be saved. That I may be get out of that entanglement. But Bible makes it very clear. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 9 says, not of works. Nothing to the works. The works themselves are necessarily bad. But for our salvation, it doesn't mean a thing. Because all our righteousness is as a filthy rags, not of works, lest any man should boast. We cannot boast about it. 
Not by works of righteousness, Titus says, which we have done. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Nothing to do our good works. You ask a lot of people today, Christians today, we go out every week knocking doors, and do you know Jesus Christ? They say, yes. How do you know? I try to be nice. That's the answer. We happen to meet a lot of Roman Catholics as we go out every week. We ask the question, do you know heaven is going to be a home one day? Yes. How do you know? I try to be nice. I did this. But Bible declares, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. I don't care about your life. I don't know your life. But whatever we've done in the past is not going to help us to stand righteous before God. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done by according to his mercy. Yes, it is mercy that he saved us. Through what? By the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. God has to do it. Some of you may think, yeah, pastor, you say it because you're a pastor. You may even think, oh, pastors are paid to declare that. No. No. I was an ordinary member of a church for many years. I was a deacon of a church for many years. Yes? Then, I was out knocking doors. As a pastor now, I still go out. Not because I'm a pastor. Because souls are dying. Souls are dying. You see a three-year-old boy washed ashore. Yeah. We have millions and millions of people, refugees, streaming into European countries, and we see them. The boat's capsizing. People are dying every day. And every one of them has an eternal soul. And we many Christians are sitting here today, just happy, saying, Kumbaya. We are in the United States. Oh, nothing's going to happen here. No terrorism here. We as long as we are here, our kids are okay. As long as we take that kind of attitude, we're not going to have kind of a compassion. Jesus said, when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion. Christ wept before the death of Nazareth. He was moved with compassion. Not because there's so much money. No, nothing to do with that. He was moved because they were dying. Souls were dying without the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Your good works will never going to be good enough. Your religion is going to be never good enough. How much more do I have to do? Simple question. How much more good works do I have to do? How much more religious I need to become. How much more I need to do before I can say, God, I've done enough, so you should take me into heaven. How much more do I need to go out every day, 24 hours a day, slaving myself and telling others about Jesus Christ? Is that what I need to do in order to be saved and one day in the presence of God in heaven? Never. Never. And never. That's why God had to step in. Because I cannot save myself. No matter how good I am. No matter how religious I am. No matter how sincere. I cannot save myself. Because Bible declares not of ourselves. So God had to step in. And there's the divine exchange. The divine exchange. God had to step in and do something about our souls. In Isaiah 53, verse 6, read, The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. All my sins, my past, my present, my future, all my sins were laid on Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. My sins. God made him sin for us. 
He hath made him Christ sin for us who knew no sin. That we may be found, we may have the righteousness of God in him. That I may have my sins forgiven. That I may stand righteous before God. God made Jesus sin for us. All my sins, the penalties were laid upon the life of Jesus Christ. When Christ was crucified 2,000 years ago, he bore all my sins. I was not even born. None of us were born. But when he died, the Bible says, God laid on Jesus Christ the iniquity of us all. A famous scripture, Romans chapter 5, verse 8 reads, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet are you a sinner tonight, uh, today? Yeah. While we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. He commendeth. That does not mean he orders us. That means he shows commendation. We gave awards to our children this morning. It's a commendation. We show them. We display. For God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet righteous, no, while yet sinners, Christ died for us. Very simple statement. He died for us. And Romans 6.23 reads, But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Yes, for by grace I say through faith, and that not of yourselves. The Bible is very clear. For by grace I say through faith, not through good works, your religion. For by grace I say through faith, and that not of yourselves. I cannot do anything. It is the gift of God, not of works. Lest any man should boast. God made it very clear. And that was the divine exchange. Jesus Christ is the only way. There's no other way. There's no other way. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Pardon me. I'm the way, truth. That's right. Yeah, no one comes on the Father but by me. He said, I am the only way to heaven. Because God the Father laid all our iniquities on Jesus Christ alone. Not on Muhammad, not on Buddha, not Confucius, not Messias, only on Jesus Christ. Because he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, eternal life. And no one cometh unto the Father or heaven but by me. Only Jesus can save us. And apostles made it very clear, there's no other name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. Christ. No other name. Under heaven. Given among men whereby we must be saved. The Philippian jailer says, what must I do to be saved? Very direct, very simple question. I want to be saved. What must I do to be saved? An apostle said what? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Thou shalt be saved in thy house. Exclusive. We are living in a pluralistic society. Yes, as long as you're good, your religion will take you to heaven one day. You believe on that? You're going to bet your life? You're going to bet your eternal life on that thing? That one day that I will be accepted to God? You'll be foolish enough to trust that. I'd rather trust the word of God, which is so clear, than trust some man thinking, hoping one day that I'll be able to get to heaven. That's not the case. Death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the only way that take us to heaven. And he bore our sins. God poured down his penalties upon him. He died because the wages of sin is death. He actually died. He remained dead. 
today, if that's the case, there will be no salvation. But after three days, according to scriptures, he rose again. In other words, he overcome death. The sins are no more, have the pangs, or we are no longer under condemnations anymore. Because he rose again. He was buried. According to scriptures, he was buried and he was rose again according to scriptures. That's the divine exchange. Just to save your soul and mine, God gave his son Jesus Christ. So it leads us to just one other point. There's a profitable exchange. This is the beauty of the Bible. Lord, I'm a sinner. I know I cannot win my way to heaven. But Jesus did something for me. I don't know. I don't understand the Bible very well, but it seems that the Jesus died for my sins. I know I cannot save myself because I tried. I tried in the past. Each time I try, yet those for a few days, that after a few days, I know I find myself again in the same sin again. And there is the profitable or favorable exchange. And this is what God suggests. Romans chapter 10, verses 9. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Ah, the Bible says you will be saved. What do I need to do? If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus What am I supposed to confess? That I'm a sinner. That I cannot save myself. What am I supposed to believe in my heart? Believe that Jesus is the only way to take me to heaven. Very simple. With your mouth, confession is made unto salvation. And with your hearts, confession is made unto, pardon me. With the heart, men, men, men believe unto righteousness And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. That's God's favorable exchange for us. Lord, I cannot save myself, but I want to be saved. What can I do? What am I supposed to do with your mouth? Confession is made unto salvation. With your heart, you believe. What do you believe? Jesus is the one who died for me. So with your heart, Man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And the next verse reads, which is a beauty. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Whosoever means what? Every one of us. Me. Ye. Every one of us. Whosoever believeth on him should not be perished. Verse 13 reads, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. All God is asking simply, Come unto me, and I will answer your prayer. That's all he's asking. Do more good works, more religion, more stuff. No, he's saying, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Almost 40 years ago, when I was a student, somebody took me to a Bible, a Bible-believing church. That was the first time I ever went to a Bible church, Bible-believing church. And a pastor preached from some message, which I do not remember. After the message, he asked a simple question. Is there anybody in the country who wants to know more about salvation? Being a student, first time I heard the message, I raised my hand. Just to indicate, yeah, I want to know something more about this. What is all this? What do you mean I'm a sinner? What do you mean I cannot save myself? What do you mean Jesus died for me? I wanted to know. So I simply raised my hand. After the raising my hand, I went to a separate room as assistant pastor. He opened the Bible and showed me. God loves you. But you're a sinner in his sight. You cannot save yourself. But there's a penalty. Hell eternal lake of fire. But Jesus paid for your sins. And Bible declares, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be 
saved. I asked the question, does that include me? Pastor said, yes. Whosoever includes everybody. But as many as received him. But as many as received him. To them gave he power to become the sons of God. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. But as many as received him. A woman, a man, a child. But as many as received him, Jesus Christ. Bible says, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on his name. Let me challenge you this morning. I know some of you are first time visitors to us. I could share some a nice, soft message for you. Let's be good. Let's help the neighbors out there. You know, it's a hot day. Let's take some water out there and help the, uh, these uh, thirsty uh, people, whatever. But as a church, as a pastor, I cannot do that. That's not my job. That's not my calling. My calling is every opportunity I get, I have to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why Jesus came. Why he died. Why he was buried. Why he rose again. That he may save each one of us. But I cannot force you to trust him. But if you simply take the first step of faith. As Bible declares, for several shall call upon the name of the Lord. If you're interested in this morning, we'll help you. And let me encourage you this morning, your soul, if you do not know Jesus Christ, you have a soul that is under condemnation. But by the time you walk out of those two doors, you can rejoice in Christ by saying, yes, I called upon the Lord and my sins are forgiven and I know I have eternal life through Jesus Christ. I hope you're courageous enough to make that decision and look at me. Look at some of these people around you. They all made that decision. And Jesus made a difference. And we all try to become more like Jesus Christ, not like the world, because it's how much our soul is worth.